This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 13 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of Horse Radio Network. Our guests today have many years of experience as the work that women are doing in blazing trails in the horse industry. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. I have my producer, Glenn the Geek, back with me today after Jen's uh, help last week. Hi, Glenn. Well, hello, Debbie. Yes, so Jennifer filled in well. She did. Watch out. She'll have your job pretty soon. Hey, good. she knows a lot more about horsemanship than I ever will. Well, that's so. true. <laughs> You're a horse. Uh, I married it. So, you know, she started <laughs> when she was two and, and oh, was an A-pony clubber. So there you go. So she, there you yeah. go. I knew you had quality in your family. That's there right. you go. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere. No. No, you're wonderful. I know you're. You'll get out with that pony just as soon as we're all done here. So you're not. You're a horse husband, but you have a little bit. Of horse there were times I actually nails. owned more horses than she did. So oh, and she never right. let me forget that. By the way, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so. right. you guys have a a, a great um, partnership. I like that. Speaking of out. partnerships and things, I, there's a question I wanted to ask you, and it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's about the ranch uh, mm-hmm. where this uh, flag is up farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, Still uh, which get you out there, which of mm-hmm. course is Monty's place, and yeah. I wanted to ask, what happens there? You know, he's gone a lot. He's traveling a lot. I, you know, I understand when he's there, he's playing with the deer and working with horses. But when he's not there, are are there people working there that are training horses? What happens on an everyday basis at that at at the farm? Okay, yeah, okay, thanks. That's a good question. Uh, first of all, I have to correct you. It's Shy Boy that owns the farm. It's not Monty. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. Shy, Shy Boy is there all the time, and you can't tell him any different. He does really run the farm. So, yeah, I think any, at any one time when somebody uh, walks or they drive through the front gate and you go down that amazingly long drive, which a lot of people come back just almost for the drive because it's very peaceful, and you turn that corner and you head into the um, – we have a visitor center there, which is a lot of fun um, – because you get to see what the latest doings are. And we have this map that's kind of cartoonish-like, but it's kind of cool because, remember, Shy Boy owns it, and Shy Boy's all over it. And it has um, the layout of the farm. And at the bottom of it, it has a calendar of all the things that are happening at any one time, Uh, what's coming up or what's happening right then. And literally, we're like an international bus stop on the farm for things happening. Uh, so at, at the uh, visitor center, you, you know, people will ask, there's things in there that you can see and try on and read. And, but once you go out those doors, the fun part is you can take a left and you can go to the racetrack and we could have horses in training. We have horses coming back and forth from the racetrack all the time. So there's a few um, horses that work early in the morning on the racetrack and we have those jockeys that uh, that's all they do is come in to exercise those horses. Now are these your own horses or are these horses you're training for other people? Both. Both? Absolutely both. Yeah, we own horses in partnership. And um, I mean, that's a small part of our our industry anymore. That used to be the total focus of my growing up was my parents uh, raced and trained thoroughbreds. And they really uh, specialized in those young ones because that's what they did. They started the babies and then put them on the track in a healthy way. And that's why they were so successful um, in that uh, they had a healthy start out in the pastures and then with join up and it wasn't the the um, trauma that some training might be uh, for horses back then. You know, I know everything's changing now, and I'm so glad. But uh, back then, things were, uh, you know, a, a little more traditional. And uh, but you could take a right at the at the visitor center, and you might uh, see the iconic round pin, the covered round pin. And at any one time, if Dad's not there, there are uh, instructors, uh, Maya Horsey and. True story. That's her last name, and she grew up with horses from no. from age two. Yep, real real <laughs> name. She didn't change it. <laughs> and she's from England, and she's been studying with Dad. Oh gosh, I think seventeen years now or so. And she um, has been on the farm since about two thousand six, two thousand seven, as our head instructor. And she has always a 
um, a small little uh, group around her that are either interning or other certified instructors. They might be like Caroline Jennings, who we'll have as a guest today, um, who's from Ireland and also trains in Australia. She might be there helping out with an advanced course, which she is doing right now. Um, and then there's the Willing Partners Program. My gosh, that's a whole nother area of the farm together with the outdoor arena, indoor arena, all the obstacle courses. We call that the obstacle courses, you know, they have the cowboy curtains and all the crazy stuff that the horse's house of horrors because it looks really scary but you know what they're willing partners they don't care <laughs> they have a lot of fun and and we have Kaylee and uh, other people that are riding those horses and training those while dad's gone and he's checking in with them and making sure that they can come to the mounting block just like those horses should very quietly they're all young horses too but you'd never know it. they're old souls and then you've got the um you know, we have boarders that come in and they, some people actually retire the horses out into the pastures. They're just lovely people who uh, vowed to be owners for life. And we have uh, babies coming up in the pastures and uh, you might see a cart darting by because just like you, we train all the willing partners horses to uh, drive. We think that that's a part of their um, training that is important for them to, before you even get up on their backs, that they are willing to pull things and have things around them and all the crazy contraptions that we think of. But there's other round pins there too, so students are practicing their skills as they're taking the different courses around the farm. And, uh, and it's, it's a really large facility. In fact, this week we're um, installing an oval walker there, which I... Um, Walkers are great for therapeutic. We have a therapeutic swimming pool there too, where the horses. How do they do an oval walker? Isn't that interesting? It's more like a free. Well, you know what? I'll take pictures when it's installed, and I'll show you. It comes. It must be on an overhead track because otherwise you couldn't do it. Right? Very, very cool. They've been around for a while in the. In Europe, but I think you're going to fall in love with this one. I think uh, it's going to be wonderful for those challenge uh, exercise moments that we have, and it'll be right there in the main yard. So we have a 40 stall barn that's been there since '66. The arena, the covered arena, I don't think you could even build in California anymore because it's it's they just don't allow that much. Um, Probably creosote is what it is, but they they preserved these beautiful, beautiful pieces of wood and made this large uh, covering over this. And maybe you don't have these situations in other states, but we're such a litigious state in California. We're just so proud to have a covered arena, and we have people come from all over the countryside when it starts raining, which isn't real often here in California, but um, to be able to be covered and be dry and still maintain your... Like we have uh, dressage riders that are trying to keep their practice going even when it's raining we just don't have a lot of indoor in california so so it's beautiful so i guess it's a bit of a three-ring circus when you're when you're um coming to see flag you'll never know you might have a horse and some soldiers on uh, with the veterans that are working with the uh the horses in their first join ups uh there's just uh, we do have corporate events there as well so we'll have some um, different people coming in for life lessons uh, from the man who listens to horses, talking about the philosophies. You know, I, I sort of affectionately call it a center for nonviolent training. And that's really training us humans as much as uh, talking about training horses. Uh, we really feel like we stand for that. So it's fun to share that. So bottom line, when Monty goes away, things don't stop. Oh, no, no, no. My mom would vouch for that. <laughs> I would say things escalate when he's there, but they certainly don't slow down much when he's not there either. <laughs> now, does, yeah. do they actually live on the farm? They do. Yep. They live in a beautiful hacienda that sits above the farm, and the view really hasn't changed much since it was built in 66. It's really huh. quite gorgeous. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, well, I hope that didn't bore people. I just wanted to, you know, I'm sure everybody that listens to the show is kind of curious what what, what, what it's like for those of us that haven't been there. I forgot so. we had listeners. Actually, I was trying to convince <laughs> you to come visit. <laughs> Isn't that right, Glenn? We've been talking about I know. We're going to have to get yeah. that done here one of these days. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope you're sold. But I, I'm excited about today's uh, show. We really do have some interesting guests today, and uh, I think people are really going to love listening in. Yeah. Tell us about it. Who's coming up? Well, Caroline Jennings is on the farm, and we mentioned her just a little bit, too, but she's from Ireland and uh, has been with horses uh, 
really as a as a student seriously since her teenagers, and she is um, well into uh, training horses and on her way to becoming one of the iconic trainers of our time, I believe. And uh, then we have Carol Herter, who has, um, she started off as a, uh, a barrel racer, uh, but she really got into the science, as a holistic person, she really got into the science of comfort and health for the horse, and I think you're just going to love her. She's a lot of fun, and uh, serious as all heck about her um, comfort level for horses, but uh, uh, on a human level, she is just a kick. We'll listen in on Caroline Jennings right after this commercial from IFA. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at IFA.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Welcome, Caroline Jennings. Excited to have you on the show. Let's start with how you became involved with horses. That's a big one, huh? Uh, hi, Debbie. It's, it's nice to be talk, chatting with you. Um, yeah, I became involved in horses. I suppose horses was my hobby um, when I was younger. Um, when I was about 10, 11, I started horse riding um, every weekend. I don't come from a horsey background. I don't have a, a horsey family or plenty of horses at home in the back garden or anything like that. I grew up in the city, so it was something that I, I went and did at the weekend and something that I've really enjoyed as a hobby and a pastime. Um, and then when I finished school, I, I went off and did a few other things and just thought, you know what, I want to enjoy what I do, and so I'm going to take up my hobby as my career. And I actually, during my time um, as a young girl, when I was 12, I saw Monty in Ireland in the equestrian centre that I learned where to ride, um, Kill International Equestrian Centre. I watched one of his demos, um, and it obviously had had quite an effect on me, although I didn't realise it at the time. So when I decided to take up my hobby as my career, um, my plan was that I would um, go to the UK to undergo my uh, Bachelor's of Science degree in Equine and Human Sports Science um, and then start training in Monty's methods. So my mindset was I'll go to college to understand the horse and then I'll work in Monty's methods so that the horse can understand me and, and that's what I'll do and that's what I do. That's wonderful. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, certified instructors I know that are in your age group, which is really exciting, I think, for a lot of us who've watched the horse industry for a long time, because there's all this new perspective coming into it. I love the perspective that you just gave about it becoming your um, not just um, avocation, but vocation as well. And the last thing you said interests me that you wanted to, what did you say, understand, have the horses understand you more or you understand the horses more? Exactly. So I, I went and under, underwent my degree so I could understand the horse and then um, pursued Monty's training to become a certified instructor so the horse could understand me. That was mm-hmm. my awesome. mindset. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, do you find that, I know you've worked in, stables across the world at this point. I mean, I think I can say that fairly safely um, that you've, I know you've been in Australia working under great, great trainers. You've worked in Germany under great trainers. You've worked in Ireland and England under great trainers. Um, Do you think you can say safely that um, the mindset coming forth from trainers your age um, and even younger, you're, you're young, but there are even younger ones coming up, is different than the mindset of trainers that are 30 or 40 years older than you? Uh, 
know, um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's definitely more education sources out there in regards to to learning to to work with horses, be it in a in a classroom or in a practical sense. And um, I think 30, 40 years ago, working with horses was kind of something that you went and did rather than something that you went to to school to to learn. So I think the educational system has has changed and developed and that has a massive effect. Um, and yeah, I've worked um, with a lot of a lot of different people, a lot of really talented people um, and skilled horsemen, be it, you know, who were trained either 30, 40 years ago or, or in the now. Um, and I think the beauty of horses for me and definitely and um, with a lot of people that I've worked with is that you're always learning. So the learning curve with horses is is consistent and ongoing um and that makes your days really interesting you know um and it's 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 a definite draw for me um just to continue my education and to to see as much as I can see and work with as many people as I can and 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 use all the things that I see value in to to produce good quality horses willing partners that can go on and succeed in whatever their careers will be Mm, nice. Well, that's a great mission statement. It, it may be a difficult thing to answer, but can you tell us um, on, in each under each trainer, and you don't even have to name names unless you want to, what did you learn that you think may be significantly set you further down the road as a good horseman? Ah, uh, yeah, it is a difficult one to answer. Um I mean, I mean so much in regards to working with people that are um, highly experienced um, and, and working with variety of horses, be they young to experienced. Um, I mean, I can't really pinpoint exactly um, what I've learned. Uh, I mean, hmm, that's a really tricky question. Um, well, I don't... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I think just by watching people work, I think by watching and reading the horses, I think by following the, the training patterns or programs or mindset of other people working gives me real insight into where and how I would proceed and also develops my skill to be able to read the horse in, in given situations. Um, and I think that's the, I suppose, the biggest thing. I'm not sure if I'm um, uh, answering the question, but by being around experienced people and watching them work and, and asking the questions of, you know, the horse did this and, and what do you think, I'm I'm really benefiting from, from their experience and, and my ability to, to read the horse and where to go is is mm-hmm. is probably um, what I'm taking from all, all all the different bits and pieces that I'm doing. Mm. That's great. Would you? Um, I know not everybody has the advantages that you've had to be able to travel and and work under so many others. But I imagine then you would encourage that that if people can get around different um, disciplines, different trainers, different. Um, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, um, definitely uh, as a, a Monty Roberts certified instructor, there is a, a group of us around the world and it's, it's quite a unique thing and a hard thing to be able to do to, to travel when you work with horses. Um, like I said, growing up, I didn't have horses. There were no horses in my back garden. And as unfair as I thought it was at the time, it's probably really stood to me in regards to being able to travel um, because I haven't uh, had too much to to have taken care of at home. But yeah, I would encourage everyone and anyone to go and and train with as many different people and learn as many different things as, as they possibly can so that, you know, they then can decide what is what is the right path for them and, and their horses, for sure. Yeah. Well, great. I, I agree with you. I think um, what, you're, what you're hearing about the different forms of listening to the horse is probably expanded by that. So, okay, here's the tough question. Who's the better um, teacher, the horse or the trainers? Ah, 
that's, <laughs> uh, that's not really a tough question. The horse always, I think, you know, um, definitely the horse are the biggest teachers. I mean, that's not to say and to undermine all the people I've trained with who I've learned so much from and with. Um, but for example, when I'm teaching my own students, I would always say that I am, you know, sort of a facilitator to their learning. It's the horses that will really teach you. It's it's getting your hands on, getting your hands dirty, you know, getting involved and 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 making mistakes, and um, that your horses will show you what's right for them and 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 teach you ultimately. Well, Carolyn, I'd like to ask you a little bit about some experiences that you've had um, in splitting your time. I know you've been in uh, all these different countries, but you've had some great experiences in Australia recently, and I know you spent quite a bit of time down there and were involved in the Melbourne Cup win. Please tell me a little bit about your experience there. Uh, yeah, um, how exciting. Um, yeah, so um, I was part of the team. Um, that worked with the trainer and the horse Fiorente who, who won the Melbourne Cup, which mm. is absolutely thrilling. A very small part of the team, but a, a part of the team nonetheless. Um, yeah, so a, an absolute dream come true, true to be in Melbourne for the Melbourne Cup. I'm, I'm, since I was a, a young girl, I've kind of been slightly, um, obsessed or interested in the Melbourne Cup. Um, so I worked with Gay Gay Waterhouse um, last year for the Melbourne Cup, where she placed her horses placed second and sixth. And then this this year, working with the team again, and Fiorente uh, won the Melbourne Cup. Right. So absolutely amazing to be a part of that team, um, working with the, not only the horses but. Uh, the people that are, are working with Gay, amazing horse people, and obviously Gay herself, an amazing um, trainer, and Fiorente, just some horse. Um, so, yeah, absolutely thrilling and, and hoping to, to continue to, to work with the, the team again in the future. I um, Like you say, I, I split my time um, primarily between um, Australia Ireland um, and and here uh, in America at Monty's Farm where I am currently, and mm-hmm. um, I suppose ever ever searching for more uh, experience uh, and knowledge with with the horses, mm-hmm. uh, and also sneakily uh, avoiding winters if I'm completely honest. <laughs> but yes, fantastic to be part of the the, the Melbourne Cup team and, and fantastic to 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 win it. Uh, yes, that's a big deal. The Melbourne Cup is just one of those races for people who don't know that um, uh, are coveted by the, the top horses and trainers on in the world. So wonderful. Congratulations. Uh, so tell us what you're doing in California to uh, escape cold winters elsewhere right now. What are you doing in California at this time? Yeah, so, yeah, as I mentioned, pursuing sort of my knowledge and my experience. But what I, since becoming an instructor, a, a certified Monty Roberts instructor in 2008, um, I've tried to create some time here on the farm each year to, I suppose, further my training. Obviously, the work that we do is is constantly developing um, in regards to how we teach our students um, because the horses are, are teaching us more and, you know, Monty is 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 always improving and tweaking tech and techniques and and learning new things and feeding that onto us instructors, and so always try to get back here to to to, to work with the team. Ah, uh, so you're you're on flag is at farms and you're teaching with the the small group of instructors that are there now. Right? Yes. Yeah, so so currently I'm I'm here on the farm and enjoying the Santinez Valley and the Californian sunshine, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm working uh, with the co- core team here at the moment of instructors um teaching teaching horses and students, mm-hmm. um, and then also helping organize um, our annual Join Up International Instructors meeting. Um, ah. So yeah, so that is where. Um, as you know, we've got um, 50 plus instructors around the world, and each year we try and all come together um, and share experiences and work with Monty, improve our skills, and and have a good time. So um, it's exciting to be building towards that, um, and each year it's it's getting bigger and bigger in regards to 
you know, the guest speakers that we have coming in, the, the amount of instructors that manage to come over and, and the amount of time that we get to spend with each other. So a really important part of, of further developing the group of instructors and, and the organization Join Up International. So it's very exciting. That is exciting. So you um, you get together, you brain pool, you um, work with horses. Do you all work with horses and, and learn yeah. stuff with each other? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're all quite practical. So, of course, in regards to, um, to, to, to building on, on what we teach and how we teach, there's a bit of sort of inside chats and discussions that go on, but we... We all are itching to get out and, and play with horses. Um, and usually what we have here, the, the farm is full of horses from young horses to untouched uh, mustangs to remedial problems uh, that are problem horses. Um, and we go all go out and get to work and work with instructors that we've worked with before or, or not worked with and, and just keep building and learning from each other and and having Monty there to, to to help us and to guide us and to, to continue our education within his methods and, and with our horses. How fun. I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners who are thinking, I'd love to be a fly on the wall watching all this go on and your chat together and what you've shared from last year. Um, are there opportunities for people that might be able to show up and see any of this going on? Yeah, this is the thing. You're taking the words right out of my mouth. Ah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Again, um, so like I say, we all come together and really excitingly and really uniquely um, this year, um, so many of the instructor's clients have, have sort of shown interest or, or a wish that they could come with the instructors to these meetings over the years because as you can imagine, as instructors, we come home just absolutely motivated and invigorated and, and buzzing with all that we've learned um, and wanting to share that with our students. Um, so this year, um, we have actually created a two-day um, special training clinic, um, which basically is where instructors can uh, or give their students the opportunity to, to come with them um, and, and host some groups of students to, to be a part of, of the, the sort of learning environment that we create at the instructors' meeting. So to give you a bit more detail, I'm so excited about it, I can barely get the words out. But, um, and she has so, such a cute accent, too. Everybody's going to love your accent, too. <laughs> um, I hope I'm not speaking too fast. I do that. No, you're wonderful. Yes, like, um, yeah, so so basically, um, uh, instructors, clients, or students um, can get in touch with their local instructor um, if they know them or not, and find them on joinup.org, um, and get in touch to, to come and spend two days uh, watching us work. So watching us deal with wild horses, deal with starters, deal with remedial problems, um, you know, and, and really try and, and facilitate learning all around. It's, it's so unique. It's, it's never been done before. Um, the valley is, is such a beautiful place to come. The farm is, you know, is one of the, 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 the most amazing places I've ever been. Um, and I'm thrilled to be able to share this opportunity with my students. Um, like I say, to come for two days to, to watch Monty work with a variety of different horses, to watch him work also not with horses but with his instructors, and um, to be there, to, to ask questions, to sit down for us all to have lunch together. Um, so, so unique. And, and by having instructors here um, hosting their students, hopefully that will eradicate um, sort of language barriers, which is something mm-hmm. that does come up. Um, for um, our students and our instructors around the world. Many people would like to come and, and, and spend time here on the farm, but, you know, just, just, just need really to, 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 to speak their own language to, to, to learn. So, mm-hmm. again, a hugely unique and exciting um, opportunity in mm-hmm. May. I should tell you when it's happening. Um, so mm-hmm. May uh, the 19th and 20th, probably okay. one of the most beautiful months in Santa Inez. It is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So May 19th and 20th, is it an all-day deal? Yes. So okay. um, so two days, so sort of running full days, so from about 9.30, 10 o'clock till about okay. 4.35, mm-hmm. and spending the day on the farm, like I said, spending our, our days 
in the gentling pen, working with mustangs, watching Monty start horses, so horses that have never had saddle, bridle, or rider, um, and working with remedial problems like horses that are difficult to load, difficult for the fire. Really, we're trying to to jam pack as as much into these two days as possible, um, and hopefully, you know, facilitate and accommodate you know, problems that, that students have, have come up with at home or, or feel that they want to learn more about and and just really utilize the facilities here on the farm, utilize the fact that Monty is here working with us and and, and all the instructors. So it's mm-hmm. going to be fantastic. Full days, fantastic. And sunny, which is what you want. And sunny. Oh, you promised that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think you, uh, it's a pretty good bet around there. I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I think one of the most unique things is that you have the untouched, or how do you say it, untouched? You have the untouched horses. <laughs> but so few people really get to see a lot of that work done in the untouched gentling facility that they have there. The I we call it the IFA because it's sponsored by um, Index Fund Advisors, who also sponsors our radio show. Um, but they did a beautiful job remodeling that, didn't they? And people can sit in the shade and um, watch these horses that come from rescues and. Um, uh, rehab centers, just uh, horses that are just not that adoptable become so beautiful and adoptable after that. I just love watching them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's 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 really amazing to uh, to work with with horses like that and and to work in safely with horses like that, which is what mm-hmm. that facility basically allows. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Here uh, in America, there are a lot of untouched or wild horses simply because to preserve the, the Mustang breed, um, you know, there are allocations of, of land for these horses. Mm-hmm. Um, to preserve that breed, um, the management company, the BLM, they need to, to cull that herd mm-hmm. simply, I suppose, because there's there's not enough, uh, as the herd reproduces, there's only a specific amount of land. So just to make sure that they they keep the numbers appropriate um, for good health for all the horses that are out there um, and also kind of maintain the health of the herd. So mm-hmm. what you have then is you have um, a certain amount of, of, of truly wild horses mm-hmm. um, that are, are herded either from people on horseback or helicopters, you know, in, into trailers and then and then try to rehome. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these sort of rescue or rehoming centers, you know, have huge difficulties in doing, in rehoming a horse that, you know, you can't touch. Um, so the gentling pen really allows um, allows you to, to safely work in, in, in creating a handleable, you know, willing horse. Um, it's such a unique learning experience to see, you know, a, a wild horse's reactions. Nothing can train you more about horse behavior and the language equus than, you know, than seeing its truest form. Um, and it's, a, yeah, it's extremely unique. And uh, that's what we're doing right now here with our students and a lot of gentling work in our advanced course and yeah, it's fantastic. I think I've said that fantastic is. and exciting so many times. <laughs> I'm really having a great time. <laughs> good. Well, I know it's genuine. I, I know you do have a good time with the horses, too, and these events. So we look forward to seeing you out there. That'll be fun. And um, I, I would love to have you back, too, if you, you'd have us, and come back and give us some more tips and maybe tell us what you learned in May and and share some of those exciting uh, developments that are happening in the in the positive world of horsemanship these days. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's been Great. lovely chatting with you. And, Thank you, uh, Carolyn. Thank you. Like Carolyn. I say, um, if if everyone could come in May, the more the merrier. That would be that would be fantastic. We'll put something in the show notes so that people can find you. Ah. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, Great. thank you. All right. Thank you very much, Caroline Jennings from Ireland. Up what next we have Carol Herder. I'm really excited to hear from her after this commercial for Monty's Equus Online University. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. 
go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse too. Welcome, Carol Herter, president of Cavallo Horse and Rider. I'm so excited to have you on here for the first time. You'll have to just jump in there and give us a little background about you and horses and feet and pads. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you were uh, brought into the horse industry. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, that's a big question, you know. Everybody, <laughs> everybody gets into it in a different way, don't we? You know, yeah. like some some kids are born into horse families, and then they end up doing it like their moms and dads and uncles and aunties in their environment, you know. And and then there's teenagers and or adults who get into it. And, and it really depends, I think, on what we're exposed to, you mm-hmm. know. And there's so many different... Uh, various doctrines, and and it seems like what we're exposed to is what we tend to um, align with. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you know, it's this is the way, and and then you know maybe people don't look at other ways. But I, you know, I think it's pretty important to have uh, to have an open mind and continue to learn because it's a whole area that you know as as humans we don't we don't come understanding the language of Equus. So, you know, for me, the circumstances um, of my, you know, my involvement lead directly to the equation of comfort. You know, comfort for me is number one. So I'll explain a bit about that. But as a kid, you know, I never had an option to, to get into horses. Uh, I always loved them and I was interested in them and, you know, I doodled them in my school notebooks, but I grew up in the city and, and, uh, so it was only doodling. I, I had no exposure whatsoever besides, you know, maybe what I saw on, uh, National Geographic and shows like that. And, and in those shows, you know, they were always running free and wild and beautiful, which, which, um, became a sharp contrast to, um, to, uh, where I ended up. Uh, because um, those horses weren't necessarily free and, and uh, running beautifully, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, but domesticated. So anyway, I, I came, you know, from a clean slate. I, I got my resources together and moved to the country, and I went to a local show and I moved my little family and my boys, and I said, okay, I'm at this local show. Who here can teach me how to ride? And, um, you know, I, I went to, I ended up in a pretty typical barn, um she was the trainer, you know, she the wife was the trainer and the husband was the farrier and their sort of um function was based structured around selling horses and bringing people into the show ring and uh, and that's how they made the money. So mm-hmm. you know, what what I noticed really quickly, my background was in holistic healthcare and that's always been my study. So it was really easy as an adult to recognize that, you know, a lot of girls Riders, um, you know, these little kids who I thought should have been like so happy to be in the show ring with their ponies, you know, weren't necessarily and they were kind of stressed out and, yeah. and the horses were, you know, the horses weren't happy either. But, mm-hmm. you know, they had a bond and you, you knew that they loved these ponies, right? But, yeah. but the horsemanship they learned and what they were learning seemed to be like coping methods not necessarily horsemanship. So they were learning, you know, how to handle the horses, you know, being unpredictable or running off with them. And they learned about, you know, equipment and bits and and all that. And, you know, I mean, I get that that horses aren't like training dogs, and I get the whole predator-prey thing. Mm -hmm. But I, I just feel that once horses understand that you love them, and, you know, once they trust you and, and maybe your actions aren't always trustworthy, but, 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 you know, horses are so intuitive. They mm-hmm. get when your intentions are worth trusting. That's true. So, yeah. So once they get that, you know, and once a relationship is formed, then why can't they behave, you know, in adverted commas? Why can't they always be, you know, consistent and, and, and behaving. And, you know, my study and observation led me to conclude it's because they're in pain. They're in levels of discomfort. And, um, you know, these levels can vary from day to day and horse to horse, but it's discomfort nonetheless. And, you know, why? Because 
um, you know, not because we're mean or we don't know how to ride or whatever, but, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's because of the way we treat them. And I, I remember when I realized that they were, you know, all these horses in this barn, and bear in mind, you know, this barn had 20 horses on two acres, so it was kind of a weird place anyway. But, <laughs> you know, that was typical of the day in some ways. Right. And, yeah. you know, they were all in various levels of pain in that barn. And, you know, from, you know, simple things like uh, cribbing and weaving and stomping or, you know, swishing their tails. Or, you know, some days their ears would be pinned. Some days they weren't. Some days they'd have swelling or lameness. You know, mm-hmm. some days they'd be able to, you know, go downhill just fine. But, you know, this day they're tripping. And you can't really understand why. Or, or they run off with you. And, you know, this brings me to Rocky, who was... You know, the first horse I got, and he was so not what a green rider should have been on, you know. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, he was in a barrel horse, and and it seemed like that's all he wanted to do was run. And I understood later that the reason for that was because when he was running flat out, he couldn't feel, you know, the pretty significant level of discomfort that he was in. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, you know, this this poor horse, he had ring bone, side bone, splints, um, arthritis, and 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 what was uncovered later was that he had ulcers. Also, mm-hmm. as a result of the daily dose of butte that he was given, you know, to mask his level of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I just read a study that the Dynamite Company did. They're saying that, you know, like up to 80% of horses have various levels of, of ulcers and, you know, it's mm-hmm. sort of the way. Yeah. How, how far they are from uh, their natural environment. So anyway, you know, these symptoms that all these horses sort of had could go all the way to, you know, some of them were bucking and biting and rearing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and why? Yeah. You know, is it because they're not trained properly? You know, you know I don't, maybe maybe their backs are sore, you know, because we ride them, or or their teeth. You know, now we, um, you know, we have power tools, so you know sometimes you know you got to be careful who you let in your horse's mouth with a power tool. They can they can create some imbalance, and certainly the backs. I mean, you know, God, you know, saddles aren't symmetrical, riders aren't symmetrical, horses aren't right. balanced, and there's all those. Uh, dynamics going on, and you know we can talk about that those those um, that a bit later. But um, it's also due to the feed programs that we give them. You know their intestinal yeah. organs are stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drove by a sign the other day, a big sign on the highway, and it said mm-hmm. uh, "Sun cured alfalfa." And I thought, mm-hmm. oh yeah, okay. So how how else do we cure it? Right? <laughs> That's so, a good point. Like, you know, for some reason, sun cured is going yeah. to be a big deal. And yeah. you know that's you know we just have to be so careful what we what we give our horses because like pelleted feed and all that can have binders and fillers and glues mm-hmm. and you know it's the same. it's confusing. I, there, there are so many people that that they finally end up trying to glom onto one person that they can believe in, but it's hard if you yeah. have all these different issues you just mentioned uh you know, how many did you just mention of problems that the horses could have? And each one has an expert attached to them. So where do we go? Yeah. For sure. Well, it's very confusing for us too, isn't it? Like I go in a store and now, well, again, the other day, big starburst on a bag of potato chips, gluten-free potato chips. So, you know, does that mean now gluten-free is the whole big deal? So yeah. does that mean potato chips are good for you? And, you know. Remember when it was fat-free, but then they had, you know, sugar, and then it was sugar-free, but then they had carcinogenic sugar substances. (laughs) (laughs) And bad packs of fat. I guess we're in the same same boat as the poor horses, too. (laughs) For sure. That's exactly right. And then, you know... Yeah, I, I, say I love your approach that you're holistic about all these things. So throw the whole thing in there that we really do have to take a step backwards and look at everything holistically. You're right. You really do. And it's a big responsibility, you know. And I mean, you know, I just wanted to ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, like, please don't make me look at all this. But, you know, my horse had real big problems, so I was sort of forced into it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you you had problems from the feet 
all the way up through between the ears? Is that what you're saying? Basically? Well, you know, what I recognize, and certainly, you know, feed is a problem. Feed being what we feed them and teeth and, and all that, you know, their, their imbalances. But what I have discovered and I'm most committed to is that their feet are the biggest issue and, and okay. uh, their feet cause them the most pain. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. You know, there are plenty of good barriers out there, and you know, some horses can tolerate us uh, nailing metal shoes onto their feet, and and some horses, you know, are, their hoofs are so pathologically damaged that they couldn't be barefoot successfully anyway. But you know, reality is, horses have been on the planet for over fifty million years. Yeah, uh, there you go. Running wild and free, barefoot. So, like, their right. hoofs are not a design flaw. That you know we have to somehow improve upon by nailing metal into their yeah. feet, and mm-hmm. and the nailing of metal into their feet causes them all kinds of problems, like mm-hmm. significant problems. Mm-hmm. So we've seen those hooves. I don't know if everybody's been googling around the internet like I have, but those Mustang hooves with the Mustang roll and amazing hoof wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that that makes me think that like in Australia, for example, a country that's the same geographical size as the U.S., there's 1.2 million brumbies, and brumbies are wild horses, and they're running around the outback. You know, horses are like scavengers. You know, they they run around on really hard, arid, aggressive terrain. They're not meant to be fed alfalfa. Put blanketed, right. uh, you know, in soft bedding in stalls all day long. Like, you know, and, and that, the fact that we have domesticated them and we feel better when, you know, we go to bed at night with our duvet and we want them to be comfortable too. It's, <laughs> you, you know, that's not who they are. <laughs> they have, you know, hair and hides and they trim their own feet when they get to move around and that, creates that beautiful Mustang foot. And, I mean, yes, we do have to take into account that, you know, our horses aren't afforded um, the luxury of roaming around that big open space and, yeah. and all that. So so there are ways to ensure that you have a good natural barefoot program. Uh, but first and foremost, it's, uh, you know, consider that by nailing metal into their feet... Uh, you're inhibiting their natural hoof function. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that function. So a thousand pounds of horse going down on a, a small hoof, like it's a pretty small platform, you know, for mm-hmm. all that weight, isn't it? Yeah, it so, is. So, <laughs> so when that weight comes down, those heels are supposed to spread apart to allow the structure to descend. And the coffin bone drops down into the sole like a trampoline to absorb shock. Mm-hmm. And so in order for that to happen, the heels spread apart and draw the sole flat so that the sole gets out of the way of the descending bone column. And that's the natural hoof function. And you may have heard it said that a horse has five hearts. Yes, I love it. that. Yes, yeah. explain yeah. that. So, okay, that's the function of the frogs four on the ground and one in the chest. And so the frog's function is not only to spread those heels so that the sole gets out of the way of the descending bone column, the descending weight of the horse, but also to pump blood into all the coriums of the hoof and then back up into the heart so that fresh blood is always pumping right into the hoof. And we've all heard the term, no hoof, no horse. And, And of course... Blood has to pump freely into the hoof tissue because blood has nutrients and oxygen, which prevent or alleviate a lot of these so-called symptoms that our horses are plagued with. Mm -hmm. And when we nail metal into the horse's foot, the heels can't expand, the frogs don't make contact with the ground to pump the blood, and then thirdly, you take a metal shoe and, and bang it against a hard surface, and you'll feel the vibration up your structure. Mm-hmm. 800 hertz frequency back up the horse's wow. structure at a trot, which is enough to kill live tissue. Mm-hmm. Okay? So no wonder our horses, no wonder, mm-hmm. you know, go to your tax store and look on the shelves and see the glucosamines, anti-inflammatories, MSM, yeah. 
teen thrillers, you know, mm-hmm. and those shelves are growing. And the catalogs, you know, they're, the, all of those products are growing every day because of the way we're treating them, because they're sore, because we're not allowing that hoof to function the way it's meant to. It makes good sense, and it is science. I know that I'll, I'll throw a disclaimer in for those people here who will say uh, there are some disciplines that are so tough on the feet that they would be, you know, little nubs if they did what they were going to do all day without some sort of um, hmm, interference under the hoof for them. But I think I think you might answer that with a futuristic answer. Are there ways that we can do that without nailing metal into their feet? Well, that's a really good point, Debbie, because, you know, the other thing is, you know, the weight of um, pack and rider is about, on average, about 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. So when you put an additional 200 pounds of weight on the horse's back, those, um, you know, that, that sole is sinking even further into the terrain. And mm-hmm. that coffin bone has to function even more like a trampoline. And, and so... Do you need protection when the horse is being ridden to protect the soul? Uh, in most cases, yes. I mean, you can, um, you can maybe condition that hoof to be able to ride on any terrain at any speed with that additional weight, but mm-hmm. it takes a huge commitment. And I'm talking about an everyday commitment. And you know, the souls, the soul, the hoof conditions to its living environment. And of course, uh, very often the horse is kept on, you know, soft pastures or bedded stalls. So then mm-hmm. when we want to ride on really aggressive train, you know, two, three, four times a week or whatever, those hoofs aren't conditioned to, mm-hmm. for that type of terrain. So we absolutely, in so many cases, do require hoof protection because mm-hmm. of the domestication of our horses and because of the time commitment to uh, acclimatize the hoof to what we want to do with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that does, but that doesn't come in the form of nailing metal onto their feet. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. So it comes in the form of um, a Nike, if you will. I mean, aren't you more comfortable when you're doing extreme sports, or or even just going outside your nice, comfortable, uh, carpeted home to to the road outside? You're far more comfortable with your running shoes on. Mm-hmm. So, um, been barefoot, I guess you're saying, right? As yeah, opposed to exactly. nothing on my feet. Yeah, okay. As opposed to nothing on your feet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where hoof boots come in. You know, that's mm-hmm. where you know you can really easily just put your hoof boots on when you're going to ride uh, in a in a very simple fashion. You know, um, front front closure system. You don't have to get in behind. You don't have to fiddle. Like we've made them as easy as we possibly can because mm-hmm. nobody wants an extra procedure to deal with in yeah. the pack up procedure. You know, we barely have time to ride as it is. So you know, you can slap those boots on really quickly and then go ride over mm-hmm. any terrain at any speed and when you come back just take them off and allow your horse to be natural and barefoot. But even when you have the boots on, you know, A, the material of the sole is TPU, thermoplastic urethane, and that absorbs shock and concussion rather than transmitting it back at the structure. And it's not nailed on, so the hoof can expand and contract and mm-hmm. you know it's absorb like shock it. and pump blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like it's meant to. What disciplines did you come up in, Carolyn? Carol, when you were, um, I, I know that you've done barrel racing. I think you've done endurance. Am I right? Well, not no. no. I haven't done endurance, but um, where She's we laughing. live, um, boy, you know, we oh, live on okay. logging roads, creek beds, you know, really aggressive terrain. You've probably seen the pictures That's of me, right. you know, riding in this terrain that seems like the Tavis Cup. Well, you're and, up in uh, Canada. You're up in uh, the Vancouver area. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Everybody's got a photo of the mountain. Of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Creek beds, rocks, big trees, everything you're going over. You name it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, for barrel racing, you know, I remember when I first pulled the shoes off, I mean, my my uh, barrel racing buddies thought I had really gone soft, you know. They just, <laughs> what the heck is she doing? And this was actually way back when, before 
um, before we got the cavallo boots going. Um, so, so I was trying to condition my horse to go barefoot, and I had this huge commitment because, um, you know, I just saw the problems. I, I just came became so committed, and so I was one of those pe- persons who was training my horse every day, conditioning that horse to be barefoot. And uh, I remember when I first bought the horse property, you know, it's it's things like um, aggressive terrain, you know, that if you want that hoof to condition, it can't be on bedded, in bedded stalls all day. So when I first bought the horse property, I got all the neighborhood kids to come with wheelbarrows and pull out um, wheelbarrows of rocks out of the pastures. And I gave five bucks a wheelbarrow and, you know, my pastures were just beautiful and soft and everything. And then when I discovered this, you did I had not. truckloads of gravel brought back. In. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And and so that's the extent. I mean, I was extreme. And six months later, when I got back on the barrel racing circuit and I was barefoot, I mean, my girls looked at me like I really loved it. In fact, one of them came up and said, uh, gee, you know, you've obviously fallen on hard times. Can oh. I give you some money? <laughs> and there's a farrier here. You can get your horse shot. Oh, you but, poor thing. <laughs> yeah, my when we. But I tell you, when I uh, shaved 1.2 seconds off my best time ever barrel racing oh. barefoot. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they looked at me a little differently. <laughs> so, I mean, when you go in a nice sand arena, you may, you know, you may not need, and, and you're, you know, racing for 16 seconds or 18 seconds or whatever it is, you may not need to put boots on. But, you know, when you go on aggressive terrain and on a long ride, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you put those, those boots on and, and that is total hoof protection. And when your horse first gets them on, like, he knows he's got boots on, so he lifts his feet up a little bit, has a little look around, and I will guarantee that you can't count to ten by the time his head is down and he's licking, because he's oh. so comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You've lifted him off off that. I, I read your blog, and I love your blog. People should go to that, by the way. And I've noticed that you, you have people on there that are starting to figure things out, like with their gated horse, sometimes putting them on the front, or putting them on the back, but not having them on all four does different things for the horse than all four I, it, behaviorally too, which is interesting. Um, I, I love watching where you're going with this. To me, it's it's a work in progress. Do you do you feel that way too? That we're not even we can do better even. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you know, I mean, gosh, I have to say that about almost everything. <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm glad. That's good. That's you know. Life's evolutionary, isn't it? I mean, if you're not trying to get better or getting better or learning or evolving, then you're stuck. And yeah. You need to be stuck. It's old ripening or rotting. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Well, I would love to have you back and give us some tips, Carol. You have such a wealth of uh, experience and, and knowledge on horses. Would you uh, Would you come back to us and give us some of your, your, your best tips sometime? Well, it would be my pleasure. Absolutely, I will. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm on the mission, right? I want to spread this as much as I can. I know. No, actually, I read this quote and I thought of you. So now you just you tipped me off to read this. So it says, "Fight against something, and we focus on the thing that we hate. But if you fight for something, we focus on the thing we love." And I think that's you, Carol. Oh, that's very kind. Thanks so much, Debbie. Well, thank yeah. you for joining us today. We'll let you get back to that. I know you're up in, in Canada right now at the beautiful Empress Hotel in Victoria, and I, I don't even want to steal another minute of you, but we'd love to have you back. Well, thanks so much. It's been my pleasure. Next up, we have our trainer's tip from Sandy Collier. She is a Rainer, as some of you will remember, and she was in our episode six. Hey, Sandy Collier, thanks for coming back and providing a tip today for us. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to hear that you have done so well this year and that you continue to do so well with not only your training, but your books and your tapes. And um, there's just got to be so many things to choose from. I don't even know where to start. But I'm going to ask you about something that I think we can never talk about too much because I don't hear enough about it, which is the horse's brain 
and training both sides of the horse. I, I noticed you in your book, you mentioned training both sides of the horse. Can you tell us uh, what you mean by that and what, what we could do with our horses that would, uh, we'd, we'd uh, prosper by that? Sure. Um, it's almost like you own two different horses. You have a right horse and you have a left horse. And they're very different, and they actually have to be trained a little differently. A lot of people say, well, you know, they have a good side and a bad side, and the good side, or the bad side, you have to practice whatever it is you're doing, you know, twice as much as the good side. I just think that that's all, um, I, I found that to not be true for me. I feel that the horse has a stiff side and a hollow side, and in about 80% of the horses that I ride, the left side is stiffer than the right side, and what that means is when you turn to the left to say spin or turn a barrel or turn a cow or anything like that, they're going to turn faster, but they're going to turn stiffer. They'll mm-hmm. almost want to lead the turn with their shoulder instead of with their nose. When they mm-hmm. turn to the right, they're hollower, which means that they have more natural sort of innate bend, but in the long run, that ends up pampering them. So they, they really don't have a good side and a bad side. They're both sides need work. You need to make the stiff side hollower and the hollow side stiffer so that you have a more ambidextrous horse. Mm. Are are you okay with that so far? Yeah, that's interesting. So tell me how you do that. Well, there's lots of things that you can do to to get those two sides working um, more balanced. Uh, I do a lot of counter cantering. I do a lot of um, side passing. You know, I kind of go back to the dressage of it a little bit. And it's funny, I've talked about this, the stiff side and the hollow side to a lot of different trainers. Um, I talked to Charlotte Berdahl, who's our bronze medal Olympic dressage trainer. I've talked to Hayden Upton, who's chiropractic bazillions of horses and, and guys mm-hmm. that have started hundreds and hundreds of colts. And, and it just hasn't really been thought through that much. Um, but everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, but nobody's really put it into words. So I tried in my book, Raining Essentials, I drew some diagrams of how it felt to me, um, and and my thoughts are a little unorthodox and totally unproven, so I, I won't even say them on the air, but it is a training mm-hmm. phenomenon that, that everybody really feels and, and realizes, and, and the bottom line is it doesn't matter what caused it. You know, people will say, well... The, you know, the horse, when they lay in utero, you know, they get twisted mm-hmm. up or you always approach them from the left side. And so, you know, there's all those excuses. Or we're right-handed, so we're heavier with our right hand. There's mm-hmm. all those things, but I don't think any of those hold water. And the bottom line is it doesn't matter. It is yeah. what it is, and you have to train, you know, what it is. So mm-hmm. um that's the bottom line. If your horse is stiff on the left, you have to make that soft suppler. And if they're that side suppler, and if they're hollow on the right, that's going to slow you down too. So you have to kind of straighten that side up a little bit. And mm-hmm. it and it goes through all the different maneuvers that we do. When you start to spin a horse, he'll turn more naturally to the right, and it'll feel really good because he's got that nice bend. And he'll step across. But when you go to speed it up, you can't because he's too bent. He mm-hmm. can't flatten himself up and move his shoulder. But to the left... He'll start to spin. <clears throat> that side will be harder, but he'll he'll end up spinning faster that way. Mm. And most horses lope straight on the left lead, and they lope more like a dog, kind of cocked on the right lead. So most people, when they have the uh, opportunity or the ability during a pattern, you know, to choose their lead, naturally they will always choose to lope off on the left because the horse lopes straighter, so he's probably going to stop better. So it's just it's something that we all feel, but we just haven't you know really thought about a lot. I think so we still need to quantify it at some point so that we we can uh, train people. But you're not sure exactly why it happens, but it just happens. Yeah, well, I, I think what I think what it is is that they're left eye dominant. I think that that's what causes a little kink in their neck and causes them to look at life through. You know, uh, uh, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it gives them a little tweak in the neck to to be that way, and so that's what kind of causes everything to happen all the way through their body. But I have, you know, I don't have any proof of of anything yeah. like that. So the bottom line I is, t- we just have to train it and ride it and love it and enjoy it because there are horses, and that's the way they are. That's great. That is great. I love that. Let's coin that one right there. 
That's a good one. Well, thanks again for joining us again too, Sandy, and uh, coming back for a tip. I'd love to have you on again and, and see how your year goes and follow you because you're a great teacher and a great trainer. Well, thank you very much, Debbie. It was my pleasure. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Germany, April 4th, 6th, 8th, 11th, and 13th. And then reserve your time with Monty on May 31 and June 1, where we'll have a night of inspiration with Monty at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. And then on June 1, the next day, Sunday, we're going to have an all-day life lessons workshop based on his book, From the Man Who Listens to Horses. And then everybody should mark on their calendar August 4th through 8th, 2014, for Monty's special training at Flagazette Farms. People from all over the world attend that one. You can see more at MontyRoberts.com or 805-688-6288 to call and reserve your spot. For details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find the links, photos, and more information about all of our guests. And you can also go and listen to all the past episodes. We want to also thank everybody that has commented on the on the website and also uh, sent us notes and messages. It's been really nice hearing from all of you. Please continue to do that. That just makes our day. It does. Thank you for all your your feedback. I appreciate that. And thank you, too, for our sponsors. Be sure that you visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And before we call it a day, I want to remind everybody the easiest, simplest way to listen to the show is by downloading our free application. Whether you have iOS or Android, just go to the App Store, search for Horse Radio Network, search for Horse Radio Network. You download it. It's the easiest way to listen to Horsemanship Radio and all the shows on the Horse Radio Network by doing that. It take you two seconds, and that's, I guarantee that's probably the only way you'll listen from then on. And we thank everybody that has been doing that over the last couple of weeks, and I'm sure a lot of them are listening today. So welcome. Great. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great app. And then, until next time, have many happy horse hours. Okay.